Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. We're going to start right now uh, with a game. So we're going to all play a game. And uh, we're just going to do rock, paper, scissors. You know how to do that, right? So I'd like you to find the person next to you, and we're going to have three rounds, see who's the best out of three rounds. I know some of you are on the patio. That includes you, two, Wes, Shelly, all you guys out there. You do it. Everyone joining us online, uh, do it as well. If uh, you're too shy to go come up to your neighbor, then you could play against me, all right? So otherwise, play with the person who's next to you. Now you go rock, paper, scissors, shoot, all right? Now there's different ways, but that's how we, that's the official Grace Community Church way of playing. All right, so rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, you ready? So if you're playing against me, here we go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I had scissors there. All right, here we go again. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Did scissors twice. I tricked some of you. All right, one more time. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Who would have thought I'd do it three times in a row? But I did. There we go. So I don't know who won or who lost there. But you know, one of the things about rock, paper, scissors is my question is how, in what world does paper beat rock? How does that even make sense? I don't understand that. And so there actually is a a national uh, world, excuse me, Rock, Paper, Scissors Association. And they have competitions and uh, like paying competitions if you win. And so I went and visited their website and I was like, okay, now why? And they actually answer that question. And so they say that uh, paper beats rock because paper covers rock and makes it invisible, thus rendering it ineffective to the rest of the world. And I'm like, is that really winning? That doesn't sound like winning to me. And what world is that? Now, I actually, I bought, I brought here a uh, rock buster, and it's a little pine cone here. And so um, it actually has the power to split a rock. Um, not like that, but uh, I have a picture here that shows this is where paper beats rock. See, if you want to bring that picture up for me. See, there's a time that if you put that pine cone uh, in the crack there or near the rock, that over time, paper can beat rock. Over time, there's victory, victory there, there's change, right? And see, we all face these rocks in our lives. We have, every single one of us has these unmovable issues, these things that we've just had for, for most of our lives or for years that just seems like we cannot win. It's the same old patterns. It's the same old problems. It's the same old thoughts, the same old struggles and the same issues. And it's like this immovable rock that just can't be beat. But I want you to know in this, this series, Stand, Fight, Win, I want you to know that you can change. I want you to know that you can overcome. And I want you to know that no matter how insurmountable it seems, no, how, no matter how solid it seems against you, that you can, by the power of Jesus Christ, overcome these difficulties in your life. And sometimes, just like that tree, it just takes time. It just takes persistence. Because one of the things, talking about spiritual warfare in these series, and one of the things that the enemy wants for you is just for you to be ineffective, for you to be stuck, to not realize all that God has for you and who he wants you to be. And I have to tell you that I am concerned right now with something that I see in culture that bleeds into the church, because culture always bleeds into the church, culture bleeds into our pastors, And I see right now, it is so prevalent right now, is the victim mentality in our culture. 
We cannot win. We can't help it. I am just a victim. I remember my first year in uh, high school, um, very, very first class that I went to. So you're kind of, you know, first class, first year of high school, you're pretty dialed in, you're paying attention. And I remember uh, Mr. Kettner, Warren Kettner, uh, was my teacher, and he comes up to the blackboard and he writes, You are responsible for your own actions. That's how I started high school. I don't know if they write that on blackboards anymore. But it was such a powerful lesson. In fact, I remember we, uh, he led us in this, it was called the farm game. And we did, it was this economics lessons. And, and we would like run our own little farm and different things would happen. Weather patterns would come in and different crops. And he was just teaching us kind of how to run this thing, how to do, uh, how to work with money and things like that. And uh, my friend Troy, he actually, he ran out of money. His farm fell apart. So he went up to Mr. Kettner who ran the bank and he put his finger out and he says, stick him up, give me all your money. And so, Mr. Kettner, I, I know they don't do this in school anymore, grabbed his hand, took him down to the ground, and he put him down there, and then for the next three days, Troy wasn't allowed to play. He had to go to jail for trying to rob the bank. And I loved it because, I, I mean, I remember that. You are responsible for your own actions. And he showed him right there, if you rob the bank, you go to jail. And see, in culture right now, there, there's this identity like, well, well, I won't because I can't. Or that's just the way I am. Now, I like, uh, I like personality tests. I've taken a, a number of them. And so like the DISC, for example, or the Enneagram. And, and so one of the, the downsides, though, is that we use these personality tests as an excuse for bad behavior. So I, I, I am in DISC. I am a, I'm a DI. That's dominance and influence. Right? In, in, it's healthy and it's good in some ways. Like, I like to get things done. But, but then there's a downside to that personality. When I'm unhealthy, I forget about people and I just do tasks. Right? And, and the whole reason is people. So I could be unhealthy in that. Or I'm an Enneagram 3, which is the achiever. And, and so that, that works for me because it's healthy to advance things and move things forward. It's really, really unhealthy uh, when I'm image conscious and all I think, you know, I'm so concerned about how other people perceive me. That's a downside of that personality. I could be too competitive. I could be a bit of a workaholic, right? And I could say, oh, well, I'm just a three. I'm just a DI. That's just how I am. Wrong. I'm unhealthy. I got to change that, Right? That part, it's just not okay to say, well, I'm just, that's just kind of how it has to be. Absolutely not. If you're warped, you need to do something different. You need to get yourself back into balance, and you need to address these downsides. And so we may function in dysfunction. And I understand, and I understand, that dysfunction is often, it is so often just a reaction to pain, to trauma and difficulty that's come. And then we may be drawn to live in all sorts of sin and have different bents and desires and things that pull on us. But I want you to understand, it is not just the way you are. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to be that. And I want to show you this powerful passage. It's in 2 Peter. So if you have your Bible, open it up to 2 Peter 1. Now this is a passage that I quote, all pastors love to quote this passage. All sorts of times. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this. Uh, and we're going to look at it, but we're going to dig into the context. Now, we're going to go deeper than I think we ever have in this passage here. We always start with the first part, but we're going to jump into the latter verses a little bit more. So First Peter 1, 3, and it says, and here's the promise. It's so beautiful. His divine power 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And so that's the verse that we quote. And we say, listen, you've got everything you need you went to win. You've got everything you need to, to do what God's calling you to do. You've got everything for, for the business he has or blah, 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 or whatever. But let's see what he's really talking about here in verse 4. What do we have this power for? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Thank you, God. Why? So that through them, here it is, you may participate in the divine nature. What a powerful, powerful word. That God actually wants, I mean, he has more for you, that you get to participate in his power and his majesty and his glory and be who you were created to be. That we get to participate with the divine nature. That's what his power has given us the ability to do. And catch it, it's not just that. And in addition, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You know what it says? You can win. You can overcome. That you are not a victim of this world. You're not a victim of your past. You're not a victim of what's going on around us. And see, culture has it all wrong. Culture says, well, you're not responsible with what you do because you can't help what you feel. You can't help what you've gone through, right? Now listen, understand, trauma is real. And pain is real. And it has an impact on us. I mean, we have gone through real pain, right? But here's the question. Now what? You went through it. Now what? Now what are you going to do? And and there's things that are difficult to to control, for sure. Look, emotions are difficult to control. You know, one one of the greatest lessons I got through counseling when I went to a counselor was he taught me that it's just an emotion. That's so good. It's not you. It's an emotion. It comes and it goes. Right? It's not defining who you are. And impulses come and go, and thoughts, they come and go. And we can't control those. In fact, the enemy plants some of those thoughts in our head, doesn't he? Right? There's things that you can't control. But Scripture expects and commands that we do control our response to those things. The patterns that we build around those things. The way we feed or starve our thoughts as they come into our mind, you absolutely can control that. For for example, it's tough. You can't control if you find someone attractive or not, right? That's tough to control. I mean, these three guys here, who could blame you for finding these three guys incredibly attractive? I don't blame you. It's okay. You can't control it. It's all right. Now, I have, I have never heard, I have four daughters, I have never heard one of my four daughters say, Chris Helmsworth, ew, yuck, never, right? You know, you can't control what you find attractive, but listen, you can control what you do with it next. Now, you can't control what your mom did or your dad did to you. You can't control what your ex-business partner did in that business. You can't control what your ex-spouse is doing or has done to you. But now what? See, you have the power over what happens next. I think it's Townsetter Cloud who says, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. You are ridiculously in charge of your life. Now, Cain, um, in the Bible, he had some incredible impulses. 
And some powerful things. And, you know, I believe that he had some serious pain that he was going through. He had to. For what he did, there had to be some serious difficulties that he's going through. Now, he is the first kid ever. Anybody have uh, uh, more than one kid? Did anybody do a better job with the second kid than the first kid? You know, I mean, just, I'm sorry, Maddie. There's my 25-year-old, but we were just practicing on you, right? We were learning. Now, but this is the first kid ever. I mean, there's nobody else that you can't go ask your mother-in-law, right? There's no one, no, no, no one's ever done it before. And then we, little Abel comes along, and you've got to know, I mean, Abel's always the favorite. He's the baby of the family. And mom likes him better, and dad likes him better, and now even God likes him better. And so Cain, he's got these, I think, real issues. Jealousy and disappointment. And let's just look over in Genesis chapter 4. And so he brings his sacrifices to God, and God rejects his sacrifices. And I think it's the heart that he brings behind the sacrifices. I don't think he brings the full sacrifice. I think he's holding back. I think he's just kind of doing it because he has to. I, I think that the whole heart behind the thing is wrong. And, and so God's not pleased with his offering. And then it says in verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now, now the thing that, that I want you to know here is it's okay to be angry. And sometimes we're downcast. And the Lord would say, okay, well, why? Let's deal with this. Let's talk about it. What's going on right now? We can work through this. And he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Even with these thoughts, even with these feelings, even with these issues that you have, Cain, if you just want to do what's right, won't you, won't you navigate this the correct way? You'll be accepted. I'm telling you, I'm here for you. But if you do not do what is right, sin for him, just like it is for you and I, sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to have you. It desires to kill you. It desires to destroy you. But then look at what he tells him. But you, me, we must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. You must master it. The response is his. It is completely up to him what he's going to do. See, your desires don't define you. What you do with them does. And there is a path out. No matter what comes in, there is a path out. If you do what is right, will you not be acceptable? accepted? And is it more difficult for Cain to do the right thing than Abel? Yeah. I think it probably is. I think it's the fight of his life. I think he's got all sorts of pain that he has to work through here. And this is his big test. And can he make it? Is he going to make the right decision? I mean, is it more difficult for a person whose father was an alcoholic to avoid alcohol? Yes. Is it more difficult for a man who was exposed to pornography as a child to stay out of it when he's an adult? Yes. Is it more difficult for those of us who have been abused or neglected or rejected or hurt? To do the right thing and walk in the fullness that Christ has for us? Yes. Listen, I understand you are in the fight of your life. You have real difficulties and real issues and real things that have come against you. But God still says, so what are you going to do with it? Now what? Yeah, that happened. You did that. That took place. But now what? In the fight of our lives, and when it comes to sin, God says, you must master it. 
You have unique struggles and real struggles, and I don't want to minimize trauma. Listen, it is a powerful thing. But the question is, are we going to live like victims? Or are we going to live like victors afterwards? It's a study uh, I just read that came out of Tel Aviv uh, University just a little while ago. And they put this criteria together to see if people see themselves as victims or as victors. And they had some certain questions. And then, so they identified this is what a, a victim mentality looks like. And, and they found that people who operate and live in a victim mentality are much more likely to take big offense at little issues than other people. The people who operate in a victim mentality are, are more likely to assume that others are trying to hurt them in places when they're not trying to hurt them. They found that people who walk around with a victim mentality or have what's called a memory bias and that they look back on their life and all they can see is the negative and they don't see the positive and the good that happened in the middle of their lives. And it wouldn't surprise you at all to find that those who walk in a victim mentality are much less likely to forgive. And I want you to understand that you are not a victim. I want you to understand that you are an overcomer. You need to know that you are a new creation, that you are a child of God, and that's the place that we begin. Found this other amazing study in Dartmouth, this experiment that they did. And so they brought people in, and then they had makeup artists come and put scars, realistic-looking scars on their faces. And they were pretty nasty-looking scars. And so they said, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have you go in and uh, go to these different job interviews and just kind of see how the people respond to you. And so right before they sent them in with the scars, they said, oh, wait, we got we to clean up, just kind of touch your scar again. But they didn't touch the scar. They showed them the scar. And then what they did without the person knowing is they completely removed the scar. And then they sent them into the job interview. And it's amazing because those who thought they had scars, they went in and they actually reported. They said, you know, it was amazing how people, uh, they were staring at my scar." And they, they were also saying that um, they, they, they were felt much more judged than the people who didn't have scars. Those people were judging me. They also reported that they felt much more rejected by the interview than those who didn't think they had scars. Do you see the cycle? Do you see what coming into things as a victim does? And listen, many of us, we have been given a rough hand. And trauma is real and trauma is powerful. But the big question is, now what? Now what are we going to do? What are you going to become in the midst of it, in the aftermath? I think about Joseph. I mean, when you talk about rejection, you want to talk about an orphan mentality and mindset? I mean, his brothers, the, their first plan is to kill him. And they want him, Judas says, oh, let's not do that. Let's throw him in a well and let's sell him into slavery. That's what their brothers did to him. And then he's the one who's been abandoned, who comes in, and how does he respond to it? At the very end, the Genesis, read it, it's so powerful. He embraces his family, he loves them, he weeps over them, he cries over them, he brings them back in. Or how about David? When you want to talk about honor and dishonor. I mean, think about the way that David was dishonored. So Samuel is coming to, to Jesse's family, and he's going to anoint the king. And so he says, okay, now bring all your sons. And so Jesse brings his sons, and he doesn't even invite David to the party. David is out there in the field taking care of sheep. Samuel looks at all the sons. He says, is there anybody else? And Jesse's like, well, sort of. All right, we'll go get David. But you won't want him. We talk about dishonor. And then the way that Saul hunted him like a dog, like an animal. But then what does David do in response? I mean, isn't it amazing 
Two times he has the opportunity to kill Saul who's been hunting him and he says, oh, far be it for me to ever touch or dishonor the Lord's anointed. Amazing. So dishonored and he responds with such incredible, I mean almost ridiculous honor in return. Now I want to dig into these passages or this passage here in Peter a little deeper. It's amazing. See, there's this progression and I always wonder now, why do we, it, it talks about how we add these virtues to other virtues. And you start with this virtue, and then you add another virtue, and then you add another virtue. And I always wonder now, how are they related? But if you look at the verse before, if you remember that what's the context here, it says, okay, that we want to participate in the divine nature, and we want to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I think what we see here in the next verses is the how. I think we actually see a progression of this is where you begin and this is the way that you change. This is the way that you move through change. So let's just read that real quick in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, your faith goodness, and then to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So we keep adding these things to the past virtue. For if you possess these qualities, catch us in increasing measure. So more and more of each of those things, what will they do? And see, this is what the enemy doesn't want to happen. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to go through these quickly. I don't have time to dig in real deep, but let's look at how these are connected. So first of all, he says, now begin with what? Faith, right? Now this is the starting point, Hebrews 10, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now what is this? This is faith. This is to say, to come to God and believe, God, you can change me. See, faith puts you at the spot where you can actually ask, God, I want to be different God, I don't want to be a victim anymore. God, I don't want to be defined by this anymore. And you come with faith actually believing that God can do something about it. And we have to start with faith because it gives us the ability to say, oh Lord, change me. To come for a difference, all right? So we begin with faith. And then what do we add to faith? We add goodness. And that's simply the decision that God's way is better. That God is right. See, sometimes our failure to change is actually a failure to decide. That we really haven't decided that what we're doing is outside of his will or really bad. It's like, yeah, I know forgiveness is right, but in this case, I just would rather be bitter. You're not going to change. You know why? Because God is not going to override your will. He's not going to force you. He's not going to override your decision. If you decide that you want to remain in unforgiveness, he will wait. And he will allow that because he is not going to violate your ability to choose. So we choose goodness. And then, let's check out what's next. To goodness you add knowledge. Now you decided what? Now what? Learn how. And I think this is actually the part that the church often misses, that Christians often miss. We say, well, I prayed about it. And God would say, good, now learn about it. Now get some understanding. Now figure out what it takes. For example, if you are in addiction, Celebrate Recovery is a wonderful place to go because they have great insight, knowledge, understanding, and tools to help you get free. So go get them. Do whatever it takes. Do you have a temper problem? 
Well, then I think that you need to go talk to a counselor and figure out why am I so angry? Why am I at seven or eight all the time and you nudge me and I explode? What's underneath there? Let's deal with these things. Let's gain some knowledge. Now, I know that the world, it focuses completely on this. It misses the rest of it. But I think sometimes the church throws this part out. And I want to challenge you, do whatever it takes to learn and to understand how you can be free. Read. Go to your pastor. Talk to your friends. Whatever it takes, gain the knowledge that you need and the tools that you need to overcome this thing. Because the stakes of sin are just way too high. I mean, ask Saul or Samson or even David what sin robs and takes from us if we continue in it. So gain knowledge, find knowledge, seek it. And then it says, okay, now you got knowledge, what's next? Self-control. So add self-control to that. Now the Greek for self-control, it really means to control your desires. So the desires come and it's to shape them and channel them in the right way. So we know what's in there, but, but what are we going to do with that? So for example, maybe you're drawn to toxic relationships. And then you got knowledge. Why? Well, because of deep wounds with my father or my mother or something like that. So then what? How? What's self-control? Well, the answer isn't found in a new guy or a new girl. The answer is found in a new you. Right? It's found in you changing. And I've, I've talked with a number of couples who are on the brink of divorce. In every single one of them, the the place that I always start is, okay, well, how are you going to be different? No matter what happens, I mean, we're going to fight for this marriage. We're going to do everything we can, but it may not make it. And no matter what, there has to be a different you, either in this marriage or in the next marriage. What are you going to do to change you? Self-control then is to say, all right, I need love. I need healing. I have these real issues. And so I'm going to address them in a healthy way. I'm going to, I'm going to have other people in my life who are going to keep me accountable and, and say, you know, when I'm drawn to like another bozo, would, would you please stop me and just show me you're doing it again? Listen, if you keep running into the same problem over and over and over with different people, guess what the problem is? There's one common denominator in all your problems. You are always there. Right? Okay, so self-control. And then from self-control, this is powerful, then you add perseverance. This is the tree in the rock. Just continue to move forward. Continue to move forward. Listen, I'm going to tell you something about Christianity that maybe no other pastor has told you before, but you need to know. One thing about Christianity that we don't talk a lot about is sometimes you just have to gut it out. Sometimes it's just gritty. Sometimes it's just hard. And sometimes you just keep going. Now, I know many people, there are people right here in this room that I can ask them to stand up and they can tell you, one day I was addicted to whatever, to cigarettes. Boom, next day, not. One day, I I mean, I had all these issues. I came to Jesus. Boom, I got free. But for every one of those people, I can tell you a number of people who can say, and I've been struggling with this for 20 years. See, I've got issues that I've been working on for four decades, five decades now, right? And the truth is, it looks so far, if the past is any indicator, that I'm probably going to be struggling with these things for three or four more decades. But I don't stop struggling. 
I don't stop fighting. I don't stop persevering. We continue on and we hold. And I know some of you, you're you're just tired. You're like, man, I just can't win this. Listen, don't quit. Don't stop. Keep going. Do whatever it takes. Gut it out. Grit it out. There's grace. There's transformation. There's help. But don't stop until it comes. Perseverance. And then you got perseverance. And then what does Peter say? He says, okay, now you got your perseverance. Now add to that godliness. And I think this is the first step beyond surviving where we're starting to move to thriving. This is the step of becoming. This is like, wow, you know, in this area of my life, I'm actually acting a little bit more like Jesus right now. Anybody have uh, any friends? I've got a number of friends who can share with me like the coin that they have from recovery. Been celebrate recovery for 10 years, been sober for 10 years. Been in AA for 15 years. Here's my coin. Here's my one-week coin. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, they're, they're those, some of those people, I could, I could just picture them right now in my mind, and they're just some of the most precious people that I know. They're just, I mean, because they've been through it. And, and I don't know about you, but, but many of them, they're just so gentle and they're so humble. And, and I love that, that when they take that, now they say, yeah, I got my coin, and, and not only am I sober, but I'm a sponsor now. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Oh, I, I'd call that godliness. And so then you take your godliness, and then to the godliness, you add kindness. And that's just an expression of godliness. That's just loving other people. So beautiful when your misery becomes your ministry. So powerful when your misery becomes your ministry. And I, I want you to know that you know that you are finally winning in that area when you stop looking at yourself, and you're starting to look at the freedom of other people. We're starting to give it away, and you're like, oh, man, I just want to be kind. I want to love them back to life. Yeah, I've been there. I understand. I have grace. I have mercy. I get it, but I'm not going to leave them there. I'm going to reach out to them because someone reached out to me. Someone helped me up. I mean, that's victory. That's power. That's the opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. So we started in faith, and look where we end. It says, then to kindness add love. What an amazing progression. You go from bondage to faith to love. And love is just change. It's victory. It's choosing to care for other people. It's choosing to see them. It's choosing to see God. It's choosing to see his power in life everywhere you go. And wouldn't that be amazing, this place that I've been stuck, this place where I've been hurt, when I actually look at it, it's actually this place now that I look in victory, that I look with love, that I look with hope, that I look with life. That I'm a minister in the middle of this. And I want you to understand that by his grace and power, you can break this rock. You can split it in two. You just have to put the pins in. You got to put the pins in the rock. You got to put in the pin of faith. And you got to hammer in the pin of goodness. And then you hammer in the faith of uh, the pin of knowledge. And of self-control, perseverance, and godliness, and kindness, and love. And you keep fighting, and you keep hammering, and you keep going, keep moving forward, and you don't stop. And you find that you have freedom. One of the beautiful things about the cross, the cross 
is backward working, but it's forward moving. It's backward looking. Listen, it, it looks at your past trauma and it covers it with your blood and it brings with his blood and it brings healing. And it looks at your past sins and it brings forgiveness and it brings life. And anything that happened back here, the cross can deal with. And then we come through Jesus and then we move forward because the cross is always forward moving to a new you, a new creation, a new life, a new hope, a new man, and a new woman. So we're going to take a step right now with communion. And now communion, we, we see in 2 Corinthians that it is a time of remembrance, that we remember what Jesus did. So remember his sacrifice. But you know, communion is also more than that. You know, communion is breakthrough. Is there anybody here right now who needs a breakthrough? Anybody need a breakthrough? I just want to pray for you. If you need a breakthrough, raise your hand. Lord God, I just, I, I ask Holy Spirit that you would fall right now. I ask you to come. Lord, God, every person who needs a breakthrough, every hand that's raised right now, Lord, would you bring breakthrough? By the cross, by the blood of Jesus, Lord, you, you see, you know the things, Lord. You know the things that they're struggling with, Lord. You know the addictions. You know the disappointments. You know the trauma, Lord. You know the mindsets. You know the temptations. I just speak, I speak breakthrough over your life in Jesus' name. Breakthrough in Jesus' name. Lord, bring breakthrough. Breakthrough, Lord. God, bring breakthrough in Jesus' name. That today... I just declare in Jesus' name that today is the day of change. Today is the day it begins for you. Today is the beginning of the journey where the first pin is going in. And Lord, I pray for immediate healing and I pray for immediate breakthrough. I pray for immediate freedom. But Lord, for those that need to persevere, Lord, I, I just ask that you give them grit. Give them determination that they'll just keep hammering, that they'll just keep going. And today, right now, the first pin goes in. Because we come to you, Lord, in faith. We come in faith, Lord, that we really can change. And that this really can change. Lord, bring breakthrough for every hand that's going up right now. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.